0: Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for giving us your holy word. Uh, what a blessing it is to have the Bible in its entirety in our own language and our possession. Uh, Lord, help us to be diligent students of the word of God every day uh, in our homes and in our lives. And be with us as we look at the Sabbath commandment again and look at many passages and see the great benefit uh, that this great commandment is to be for all of your people and for the whole world. And we pray you would help us understand that and to receive the truths of the passages we will look at this evening with faith and love. Lay them up in our hearts and practice them in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Just as kind of an introduction to my message to you this evening. Proverbs chapter 3. The main point I would like to make for this evening is that the Sabbath was made for man... For man to be a blessing to man. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 is our scripture reading. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, this is God's word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. May God bless the reading of his holy word. This evening, I want to consider three things, and those three things are there in an outline form there in your bulletin. The first point being the Sabbath and all of God's law was made for man, not against man. The second point is what to do on the Sabbath day. And then thirdly, Sabbath destroyers, legalism and license. So point number one, the Sabbath and all of God's law was made for man, not against man. 1 John 5, verse 1. Listen to God's word again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I thought John did a great job expositing the, the opening phrase of that verse last Sunday night. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome his commandments are not burdensome as they're given by God now in the hands of creative men they can become burdensome in the hands of the Pharisees they became burdensome but the commandments of God to God's people with their new hearts given to them by the Holy Spirit those commandments are not a burden they're a blessing the law of God in Scripture is a great gift of God to mankind. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He has given us the way to live life that's blessed and happy. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that the law was given because of transgressions. And then later in verse 24 of that same chapter, he says the law is our tutor, our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ because the law exposes our sin and shows us that we fall short and the law causes us to look to be justified before God, not by keeping it, but by believing the gospel, by believing in Jesus. Because we've always, we're always going to be falling short of the glory of God and we'll always be in need of his grace. And that's why we can only be justified by a righteousness that was achieved outside of us by someone else, namely the Lord Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5.17, a great gospel passage, he says, If by the one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. That gift of righteousness is the Lord's obedience to the law. Once a sinner repents, once he's justified and forgiven and adopted into God's family and has a new heart, the law becomes the primary means by which they now express their gratitude to and their love for their Savior. The great Heidelberg Catechism follows the, that order, guilt, grace, gratitude. The law shows us our guilt, and it drives us to the grace of Christ, and we're justified and saved from God's wrath by faith in Christ alone, completely apart from our works, and then we live in accordance with God's law as best we can, being motivated by gratitude and thankfulness. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Gratitude. Sadly, many follow two gravely mistaken patterns in their thinking instead of that. Many follow the pattern of guilt-grace license. Meaning, now that we have grace, we have a license to do whatever we want. We're not under the law. We don't need to worry about God's commandments. As if salvation by faith alone is a license to sin any way you want and to be immoral. Anyone who thinks that way, I would say probably they're not a believer. And then there's the other side. Guilt-grace-guilt. Guilt. Grace, guilt. As if salvation's completion depends in some degree upon our own works or our own law keeping. And anyone who thinks that way also would say probably is not a Christian. The moment a person does good works to try to save themselves, they clearly demonstrate they don't understand Christianity or the gospel at all. Christ will be of no benefit to them, says the apostle Paul in Galatians 5. They're fallen from grace. They're debtors to keep the whole law by themselves. And then on the other side, those who think that grace is a license to not care about the Sabbath and not care about purity and not care about being godly, they deny the reality of the new birth and the new hearts and the new desires. Remember how John brought that out last time? It's new everything, new desires, new affections, a new heart, a new way of life. It's all new. All things are new. What motivates our love for Christ and our pursuit of holiness? Please hear me. It's gratitude, not fear. Thankfulness, not fear, not trying to save ourselves. So the law of God is intended to benefit and help men to be happy, to be productive, to, to be unselfish. The law is holy and righteous and good. Those who follow it will find a life of peace and blessing. That passage in Proverbs 3, My son, do not forget my law. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Those who love God's law and seek to obey it from their heart, they will live in a highway where they can make great progress. But if we're stubborn and disobedient, it's like a hedge of thorns. It's like trying to run down a road that's, that's chock full of thorns. You're going to get cut up and bruised up and it's going to be a mess. But those who love the law, who walk in God's commandments, will dwell in safety, it says in Proverbs 3. They will sleep well at night. They'll sleep in peace and they'll learn not to worry, not to be anxious about anything. The commandments, the statutes, the laws, and the judgments of God, they're not here to stifle us or to, to restrict us from having an abundant life or to keep us from enjoying life in any of God's good gifts. On the contrary, those who live their lives obediently to God's law, law will be the happiest and strongest, most rested, vibrant, and most joyful people alive. That's how we're supposed to look to the world. Not stifled, not, not sour, but happy. Walking in obedience. Remember that song? I remember singing it as a child. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? To be happy. It's true. Those who disobey God's law will be beaten down, worn out, anxious, tired, unhappy. In Psalm 119, the psalmist describes the law of God with unspeakable joy and and respect and admiration and love. He even speaks of longing for God's laws, longing for his statutes, loving that law. God's law is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And far from being a source of grumbling about its restrictiveness, the psalm writer makes this joyous exclamation in Psalm 119.32. I run in the path of your commandments for you have set my heart free. The wisdom of God speaking to the world in Proverbs 1.33 promises, whoever listens to me will dwell safely. Don't, don't you want to dwell safely? God has shown us how to obey my commandments. It says, and will be secure without fear of evil. The scripture also says about God's good law. As I just read, Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, don't forget my law. Let your heart keep my commandments. Length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Don't you want to have length of days and long life and peace? Then don't forget God's commandments. That's how you have length of days, long life and peace. They will add that to you. Proverbs 3, to 26. This, this actually made it onto a piece of paper I taped to my wall. It's so wonderful. Proverbs 3, 22 to 26 so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. When you're tempted to sin, remember that. This is life to your soul, grace to your neck. Loving the Sabbath day and loving the commandment of God, you will walk safely in your way. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you won't be afraid. You'll be able to sleep like a baby no matter what. You will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Don't be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. Don't be afraid of anything. If you have the favor of God and walk in his ways, you have nothing to fear. He will be your confidence, he will keep your foot from being caught. That's a recipe for good mental health. The law of God was given to men to give them life so they could be happy, so they could prosper. It's a gift of God. Directions, how to be happy and fruitful and productive in this world. It's directions on how to be able to lay down at night worn out after working hard and sleeping well without any fear of of anything. Wouldn't you love to be able to do that every day? What an odd thing indeed it is today when you hear professing Christians actually say, we don't care about the law. We're not under the law anymore. We're not under its curse. Yeah, praise God. But are we obligated to obey its commandments? Yes, at all times. In fact, if we weren't under the law, who would we not need? Jesus. The reason you need a Savior is because we are obligated to those commandments. And we don't keep them as we should. That's why we need a Savior. Okay, so that's point number one. The law is of benefit to us. I mean, Proverbs chapter four, go home tonight and read that to your kids. It's literally like an advertisement for the law. Like all the reasons that you should want to live your life like this. There's all these great benefits that will come if you just obey me. And if you don't, you're gonna have all these problems. It's great stuff. Okay, second point. What to do and not do on the Sabbath, since we're talking about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is commandment number four in the Ten Commandments. It's also one of the longest. It actually is the longest of the commandments. Commandment number two against idolatry is pretty long, but it's almost like if you put the commandments all together, it's like the beating, glowing heart of the commandments. It's this big middle section of the commandments. And it begins with that great Hebrew word, zakhar, which means means remember. And we learned this morning that keeping the Sabbath day was not new. When God told the people of Israel, remember the Sabbath day, they had the ancient divine example, and they had kept it for centuries. Their fathers had kept it for centuries. It could be remembered because the whole world had kept the seven-day weekly cycle, six days of work, one day of rest, six days of work, one day of rest, from the beginning, from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Moses. It's God's will that we remember to keep all of his commandments. But this one commandment, the Sabbath day, which is the longest of the Ten Commandments, begins with that word, remember, Zachar in Hebrew. Why? Because people forget it. Forget the Sabbath. How many times did Israel forget about the Sabbath? and start working on the Sabbath. We can make more money this way. America has also forgotten the Sabbath. Most of the church in America has forgotten the Sabbath. Remember I pointed out to you this morning, Reformed theologians have pointed out, Really, from the time of the Reformation until the mid-19th century, people held fairly consistently strict views of the Sabbath. It's only been in modern history that that's all been discarded. And now those that love the Sabbath are the minority. We're in the minority now. And so it's very important that we lead the way in remembering. Remember the Sabbath day. Israel forgot about it too. Isaiah 58, 13 Says, if you turn your foot away from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Long ago, being brand new to the Reformed faith and having never heard of a Reformation catechism and reading through the larger catechism and looking at this passage here, I was directed to this passage by the catechism. I wondered for a moment if reading your Bible was forbidden on the Sabbath day because I took pleasure in reading my Bible. Well, the passage says about the, the Sabbath, nor finding your own pleasure. Does, does this mean you're not allowed to enjoy anything that you have to eat spinach kale bake for every meal on the Sabbath? Or you're not allowed to, have to enjoy anything? Well, obviously not. It, doesn't, it, it means that you're not supposed to do your own will, your own pleasure, whatever you please on that day. We have to remember what God says about it. Exodus 20 verse 10. In it, you shall do no work. That's as basic as it gets. Our normal vocation, we're to put that aside. Unless it's a work of necessity or mercy, you put your normal work aside. You, your, your wife, your son, your daughter... Your male servant, female servant, even your animals, your cattle, your stranger who is within your gates. God gave us six-sevenths of our lives to work and to engage in activities that we want to. But the seventh day was the Sabbath, that Hebrew word Shabbat, where we get Sabbath means to cease, to rest. So God worked six days and then he stopped working. So we also are to work six days and then stop working for a whole day to rest. From the time of creation until the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath was the seventh day, and then it changes to the first day of the week by divine example. What God's people must understand and must learn to be content with is what the Bible says about the Sabbath. I can't emphasize that enough to you. We have to go to the text of Scripture to find out what are we supposed to do and what are we not supposed to do on the Sabbath day. The tendency that you see constantly at work among God's people is to add to or subtract from what God and his glorious wisdom has seen fit to put in scripture for us. People have a very strong tendency in one of two directions. They either become far too loose in their view of the Sabbath and will dismiss anyone who disagrees with their looseness as being Pharisaic, or they become far too rigid and they become outright tyrants in their homes regarding the Sabbath. One part of this that makes it a bit different from the other commandments I emphasized to you this morning is that the heads of households are to make sure that everyone in their household keeps the Sabbath day holy. Their sons, their daughters, their servants, livestock, even strangers within your gates. If you have company over and they're not believers, you still keep the Sabbath day holy. You don't fail to do that because they're at your house. In fact, it could be a great conversation piece. The fact that you're keeping the Sabbath day holy. We're going to church today. We're not going to fail to do that because you're over here and you're welcome to come with us. Remember the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 118. Why is the charge of keeping the Sabbath more specially directed to governors of families and other superiors? Answer. The charge of keeping the Sabbath is more specially directed to governors of families and other superiors because they are bound not only to keep it themselves, but to see that it is observed by all those that are under their charge and because they are prone oftentimes to hinder them by employments of their own. This is an important part of the commandment for sure, and it's probably one reason people who are heads of households can really struggle in their consciences with what they ought to allow and what they ought not to allow during the time that they're not in church worshiping. How many of you have struggled with that? What should I allow? What should I not allow? It's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. Heads of households especially need to do what's in their power to to encourage Sabbath observance in their home, but you're not going to chain a four-year-old to a desk with a Bible open in front of him, right? All day. I mean, does anyone actually do that? The first day of the week, the, the Lord's Day Sabbath, it's not like the other six days of the week. We've got to make sure that that's understood. It's supposed to be different. <clears throat> if it's not different, if the whole day's not different from the other six, then something's definitely wrong. Some people want a huge list of don'ts. If I don't, 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 then I'm spiritual and I'm keeping the Sabbath day holy. And certainly there are things that we should not do on the Sabbath. Organized competitive sports that chew up the day, that's not to be done. We're not to do that on the Sabbath day. That's not what the day is for. Your normal vocation, your normal work is not to be done. That God says, in it you shall do no work, meaning your job, unless your job itself is a work of necessity like medical, professionals, law enforcement, etc. We also can and should do works of necessity. Eating, preparing meals, changing diapers, things like that, brushing your teeth, carrying your Bible to church, putting dishes in the dishwasher, taking care of your necessities. Those are not to be considered the normal category of work. Getting ahead financially in your calling and vocation, however, would be considered a form of normal work. If you're a student, you ought not to study on Sundays unless by some kind of oversight on your part, you find yourself in a serious pinch of some kind. It can happen once in a while. It's a work of necessity or a work of mercy, but we shouldn't plan to do that kind of work on Sunday. In it, you shall not do your normal work, your normal vocation. We ought to plan and budget time so we don't need to do those things on Sundays if we can't avoid it. And here's the main point I think that we really need to understand about this. God is inviting us to trust him. The Sabbath is really about God inviting us, trust me, you don't need to constantly work. You don't need to, to do your normal work on Sundays. We will survive without doing it. The pagan nations around Israel, they lived in fear. And so they always worked. But God's people would take one whole day off of working every week. And it had to look strange to their pagan neighbors for one whole day. You don't see them coming out. You don't see them out there working. In the field. What are they doing? What are they doing? Why, why do they do this? It was good for them. God is inviting us to trust him too. God will take care of you and will take care of your needs. Trust him. Trust him enough to give him a whole day off of undivided attention. We are not pagans that have to live in fear to work seven days a week because we might starve to death if we don't. Remember that great lesson God taught Israel in the wilderness? Before the Sabbath command was even officially given in the Ten Commandments, God told them, I'm going to give you twice as much manna on the sixth day, so you don't need to go out and gather any on the seventh. I will take care of you. And yet, what did some people still do on the seventh day? They still went out looking for manna, even though He specifically said, You don't need to do that. Why did they do that? They were afraid. They were afraid. We're, we're, we're going to starve or, or God's not going to take care of us. We, we don't want to have that mentality. We don't need to work for that one whole day. You don't need to. We're not pagans. God fed his people miraculously with manna in the wilderness. And he did it in such a way that they would be able to rest from normal work for an entire day, the Sabbath day. And the lesson there is don't break the Sabbath day out of fear that God might not meet your needs or take care of you or that you're not going to know a subject well enough or that you're not going to have enough money. Trust him. The fourth commandment says the Sabbath day is a day in which no work is to be done. No work by us, by our children, our livestock, our servants, or strangers in our gates. No work related to our normal vocation. Okay? So kids, that does not mean if your parents say put your dishes in the dishwasher that you can say, the pastor said to do no work and I'm not talking about that. Okay? Question 117 of the larger catechism. How is the Sabbath or Lord's Day to be sanctified? The Sabbath or Lord's Day is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day. Not only from such works as are at other times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreation as are on other days lawful and making it our delight to spend the whole time except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts And with such foresight, diligence, and moderation to dispose and seriously dispatch our worldly business that we may be the more free and fit for the duties of that day. The Sabbath day is a day of holy resting all that day. God is so loving, so bountiful, so kind to us that he's commanding us not to live like pagans governed by fear. Trust me, I'll take care of you. Take a whole day off and rest. We don't need to worry every single day out of fear that we might starve to death. The manna in the wilderness illustrated that so well. God will take care of us. We don't need to work on Sundays. You don't need to get caught up on paperwork on Sunday afternoons, even if it would be be really convenient to do so. Students, you don't need to study on Sundays every Sunday. Even as a pastor, I should not be studying for the following week's sermons on Sunday because that's part of my normal vocation and calling. Any reading I do on Sunday ought to be devotional only, not sermon preparation. One thing I've noticed again and again through all the years I've been a Christian and in trying to keep the Sabbath day set apart, even when everything in our society and culture and in my life is encouraging me to to do stuff I know I probably shouldn't do on Sunday, when the Sabbath day is a delight and is seen as a day of God by me, somehow I always have time to get everything I need done the following week. Pretty remarkable how it always works out that way. Consider with me for a moment if Adam, in his unfallen condition, needed a day of concentrated worship, how much more do we in our fallen but regenerated condition need a whole day to do that? We who are so susceptible to sin and temptation. We need a day, a whole day, to focus our wandering and anxious and sinful minds on the things that really matter. To soak in the scripture and in the love of God in the gospel. We need a day for our bodies to rest and recover from work. We need a day for our minds to rest and recover from work. Our minds need to rest from working and studying. Pastors and students. This is why we ought not to engage in that hard work of studying for that one whole day unless necessity requires it. God requires our love and attention and worship that day. But your body and your brain need rest too. We physically need rest. And in the studying I've done through the years, there were two different times that I've read about in the world history where cultures tried to get rid of the seven-day cycle they tried it in ancient Rome. They tried a five day week and people were so lazy they didn't do anything. Four days of work and then one day off, doesn't work. They tried it in revolutionary France, nine days and then one day off, a 10 day week, that doesn't work either. People were so tired, exhausted and beat up they couldn't get anything done either. There's something about the way God created. It's going to be seven days or it ain't going to work. Your brain will work better if you let it rest for a whole day. Just try trusting God with it you'll notice that your brain works better, your body works better if it has a whole day off from its normal work and its normal recreation. I am convinced one of the biggest reasons the Christian people in America do not have the strength to worship God, they don't have the strength to love strongly, they're cranky, they're tired, they're impatient, they don't have the strength to stand against the encroaching false doctrine that God's people in the past have had. There's one simple reason for it. We've forgotten the Sabbath day. We don't give ourselves a break. We don't really rest for one whole day in seven. Sadly, so often anyone brings up the topic of what we ought not not to do on the Sabbath day. American evangelical types immediately shut down all critical thought with one sentence. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. Congregation, the Sabbath commandment is just as binding on us now as it was in Exodus 20, as it was that when God created us on day six, as it was when Adam and all of his descendants before him were supposed to keep the Sabbath day with no divine command and only a divine example to follow. Inquiring about how to, keep, how to keep the Sabbath day from scripture is not Pharisaic. It is godly and necessary to the reformation and revival of the whole world. God himself ceased and stopped working after those six incredible days of work, of creation, the commandment in Exodus 28-11 through 11 is to all of humanity to remember this holy and set-apart day for the, for, to rest from work and to worship the Almighty for the rest of time. In that day, we are to do no work. Our normal vocations, we are not to do them. That's the commandment of God. A holy resting all that day is God's order to us. And the Sabbath day is a delight. It should be a delight to us. I don't have to work for, for a whole day. I don't have to do my normal job and vocation. I get to take a whole day off. In fact, God commands me to do that. It's a sin not to do that. The Sabbath is a delight to God's people and has always been because it's our delight to obey our covenant God. And the Sabbath is a foretaste of heaven itself. Why would we want to miss out on one of the closest things to heaven this side of eternity that God has given to us? Have you ever noticed in scripture, God describes going to heaven as what? entering into what rest entering into your rest rest is such a wonderful concept what does rip stand for in all the tombstones in the world rest in peace after working hard isn't rest a blessing when you've worked hard to be able to finally lay down and rest and just relax and rest how many of you engaged in a holy nap this afternoon And you knew that you were glorifying God doing it. I used to do that. (laughs) Sometimes you can do it a little bit. God is calling us to taste heavenly rest for a day. And we all yell, Pharisee! And anyone who asks, what does the Bible say about how we're supposed to keep this day holy? Folks listening, listen to me. Obeying God is not legalism. Obeying God is not Phariseeism. Adding to scripture is legalism. Inventing laws that God hasn't given, that's legalism. Ignoring what he has said, that's license, and that's sinful too. And so we have to go back to the text again and again. What does God tell us to do in the Sabbath commandment? In it, you shall do no work. In it, you shall do no work. Okay, thirdly, finally, Sabbath destroyers, legalism and license. Legalism makes the Sabbath a burden instead of a blessing. That's the 1st subpoint. Legalism makes the Sabbath a burden instead of a blessing. The passage that we're, we're going to look at next time, Luke chapter 6, is focused on primarily two errors that the Pharisees had made in their understanding of the Sabbath's prohibition of work on that day. A larger catechism summarizing scripture says, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, not only from such works as are at other times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as, as are other, on other days, lawful except works of necessity and mercy as i said if we treat the day like every other day then we're not remembering it we're not keeping it holy can one be engaged in the exercises of worship while taking a hike in a quiet and beautiful place sure can one engage in the exercises of worship playing briefly in your backyard with your kids who need to wiggle a little bit sure i think so Is it a sin to have people over and prepare food and have to clean up on Sunday? No. That's a work of mercy. That's a work of fellowship, a work of necessity. Is it a sin to drive somewhere pretty and take a walk with your kids to someplace quiet so you can pray and read scripture together? No. Folks, you need to remember this basic principle. The Sabbath was made for man. For man. To be a blessing to man. It wasn't made to be a burden, but to lift burdens. It wasn't made to paralyze people with fear for one whole day and seven. That God might strike them dead if they do anything that they enjoy. And I will admit for a short time that's what it was to me. I was afraid to do anything on the, on, on Sunday. I thought for sure this is a violation. I enjoy this is, counts as recreation. It was made for our benefit, for our good. However, you work out and understand the details of this commandment in your own life, please limit yourself to what the commandment says. Don't invent additional rules. Don't dismiss anyone who disagrees with every detail in your conscience as a Pharisee. Don't say, well, they're a Pharisee. They don't don't do this, and I think it's okay. Let, Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit to people. Look at what the Scripture says. The Sabbath commandment could have been a lot longer, couldn't it? God could have made the Sabbath commandment six chapters long, right? He could have done that. But for some reason, he thought it was sufficient for our understanding to word it the way he did. The Pharisees at the time of Christ, they added an enormous number of restrictions and regulations to the fourth commandment. So much so that I would say from the stuff that I've read about the, the Jewish world at the time of Jesus, the Sabbath commandment to the, to the people of God, to the Jewish people that lived there where Jesus ministered, the Sabbath was a day of terror. It was a day of sadness. It was a day of burden and oppression. They were afraid if they did anything, they could literally get killed, stoned to death. The reason in John's gospel that the Pharisees decided that they wanted Jesus to be killed, the thing that that changed their attitude so dramatically was when Jesus told that man in John 5, who had been lame for 38 years, arise and pick up your mat and walk. It was the picking up of that mat that made them want to kill Jesus. Is that not remarkable? From that moment forward, he's got to die. He's a Sabbath breaker. Now think about it. Think, try to think like a Pharisee for a moment. It does make some sense, doesn't it? Isn't picking up something technically work? Isn't it technically work? Couldn't Jesus have simply told the healed man, walk home and leave your mat there until the Sabbath was over and then come get it? I mean, technically it's work, isn't it? To pick up something you don't really need to pick up. Even applying the Westminster standards to this. Was it really a work of necessity for him to pick up his mat? Was it really a work of mercy? No, on both. So could Jesus pass an examination to be a Presbyterian minister? Here's the thing. This man had been sitting there lame for 38 years, and now he can walk and carry something. Can we lighten up a little, please? Think about it, John 5, verse 9. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. By the time of Christ, the Pharisees and the Talmud had added twenty-four chapters of Sabbath regulations to the fourth commandment. 24 chapters. The end result of those 24 chapters is a ridiculously complex system of external behavior restrictions. There's an anecdote one commentator pointed out that spoke of a rabbi who spent two and a half years studying just one of those 24 chapters of Sabbath regulations, and he wrote this, quote, For example, traveling more than 3,000 feet from home was forbidden, But if one had placed food at the 3,000 foot point before the Sabbath, that point would be considered a home since there was food there and and allow another 3,000 feet of travel. Similarly, a piece of wood or a rope placed across the end of a narrow street or alley constituted a doorway. That could be considered the front door of one's house and permit the 3,000 feet of travel to begin there again. There were also regulations about carrying items, something lifted up in a public place can only be set down in a private place and vice versa. An object tossed into the air could be caught with the same hand, but if it was caught with the other hand, it would be a Sabbath violation. So Pharisees threw Frisbee with one hand and their kids could catch it with one hand and they had to just throw it back and forth with one hand. They caught up with the other one you were breaking the Sabbath. If a person had reached out to pick up food when the Sabbath began, the food had to be dropped. To bring the arm back while holding the food would be to carry a burden on the Sabbath. It was forbidden to carry anything heavier than a dried fig, though something weighing half as much could be, carried, uh, could be carried two times. A tailor could not carry his needle. A scribe could not carry his pen or a student his books. Only enough ink to write two letters of the alphabet could be carried. A letter could not be sent, not even with a non-Jew. Clothes could not be examined or shaken out before being put on because an insect might be killed in the process, which would be work. (laughs) No fire could be lit or put out. Cold water could be poured into into warm water, but no warm into cold. An egg could not be cooked, not even by placing it on hot sand on the summer. Nothing could be sold or bought. Bathing was forbidden, lest water be spilled on the floor and wash it. Moving a chair was not allowed, since it might make a rut in the dirt floor, which was too much like plowing. Women were forbidden to look in a mirror, since if they saw a white hair, they might be tempted to pull it out. <laughs> Other forbidden things include sewing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, grinding, kneading, baking, shearing, washing, beating, dyeing, spinning wool, tying or untying a knot, catching, killing or skinning a deer, salting its meat or preparing its skin, end quote. This is the kind of crushing nonsense that Jesus was referring to when he rebuked the scribes and Pharisees and said, you guys tie up heavy burdens on people and won't lift a finger to help them. And this is also why he told them, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just remember the Sabbath was made for man, not for us to break it. But it was made for our life, for our happiness, to, to benefit us. It's not about me giving you a long list of things that you can't do except what God says you can't do. It's not about crushing your spirit with burdens so great that, and restrictions so absurd that no one could ever really believe that they were obeying them. It's about obeying the biblical prohibition against normal work and normal recreations that we do on the other six days of the week and delighting in and being happy in the Lord and resting that day from our normal vocation or normal recreation. So that's legalism. Legalism is a Sabbath destroyer. The other side is license. People that say you can't tell me I can't do anything on the Sabbath. By license I mean seeing any restriction as legalistic and therefore discarding them all. Some people think like that. If you say you should not plan, if you say you shouldn't plan to eat out on Sunday is legalism and that is promoting a licentious view of the Sabbath. It's not legalism to say we should not eat out on Sunday and make other people work. That's making sojourners work. That's making people work that shouldn't work. Why make people work unless you have to out of necessity and mercy? If a competitive sport takes up your time and energy on the Sabbath day, you're breaking the Sabbath day. Many would see that as legalistic and would disagree. That's a licentious attitude. The Sabbath commandment contains a prohibition from God. We are to do no work that day. Worldly recreations are also not allowed. Joe Moorcraft wrote this, quote, Worldly recreations, as are on other days lawful, are also to be excluded on the Lord's day. The Lord commands his people to refrain from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, desisting from your own ways and seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own words. Enjoying ourselves, playing, vacations, and other legitimate forms of recreation are not improper or sinful in and of themselves. In fact, the Bible commands us to enjoy times of family vacation in Deuteronomy fourteen twenty-six. However, the Lord's day is to be spent in doing something other than playing. We are to lay aside our weekly work, our weekly recreations, so as to have all the time we need on Sunday doing Sabbath work and enjoying Sabbath recreating and refreshing of the Spirit in rest and worship. All work and play God allows us to enjoy during the week must give way and be excluded on the Sabbath so as not to be a hindrance to our giving the whole day to rest and worship. No unnecessary work And no unnecessary play must be allowed to interfere with or distract us from a holy physical resting on the Sabbath. And I like the way he put that, no unnecessary play. On Sundays, once in a while, we'll do a real quick bike ride up the street and back. It's not a 10 mile ride or anything like that. To me, that's a work of necessity to keep my house from exploding. Kids need to wiggle a little bit. They need to get out and use up some of their energy. They should walk around the backyard but we're not going to turn the day into a day of playing. Ridding yourself of some energy, that's an important part of being healthy. That's a necessary act, in my opinion. As I said, it's not a 10-mile bike ride. It's up and back to the stop sign and back up, and go around a dead end, come back, and then we're done. If God's people would recognize that they've been called by Christ to be different from everyone else, to be set apart from everyone else, and that the Lord's Day Sabbath is a day for us to rejuvenate, to rest, and rebuild after working all week, we'd be the most refreshed, happy, productive, mentally healthy, physically healthy, and strong people alive in the world. And the world around us would know there's a God who redeems and sanctifies people. I think a revitalization of Sabbath keeping in the Christian church is one of the keys to the evangelization of our country? Is the Sabbath day different for you? Or do you simply look for excuses to do what you want on that day and make it like every other day of the week? Is this a day that you look forward to in order to focus on the word of God, in order to focus on resting your body, resting your mind, soaking in God's promises, loving the Lord, worshiping with your church family, and delighting in the saving mercy of Christ to put all your ordinary work and recreations aside so you can better rest and worship God. Is that what it is to you? Do you delight in those things? Or or do you see any restrictions and commandments as a pain, as a burden, as something you're just not interested in? If the Sabbath is a burden and you don't delight in God's law, I want to assure you, you will be worn out. You'll be cranky. You'll be exhausted spiritually, physically, emotionally. You'll be less productive, less happy, less godly, less rested. When Israel was in Egyptian bondage, they longed to celebrate the Sabbath, even before the Ten Commandments were given to them. God wanted them to as well. And that's why he gave them twice as much manna on the sixth day, so they could have a whole day, they didn't have to work at all, and they could rest that whole day. Exodus 16 4, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Why did God do that? So they can keep the Sabbath day. Sabbath day is a creation ordinance that was in place and observed by the people of God from Adam until Moses. In the absence of a command, all they have is the divine example. If Sunday, the Lord's Day Sabbath, is to you, just like every other day of the week, a day on which you will do everything you normally do on the other six days, you've forgotten it. You've forgotten the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it set apart, to keep it different from the other days. If what you do that day does not differ from the other six days, then in what way are you remembering to keep the day set apart, to keep it holy? The day is supposed to be different. Not in terms of works of necessity and mercy, but in terms of what takes up our time and energy that day. The scripture says, the Holy Spirit says to you, to me, in it, you shall do no work. This doesn't mean that you don't sleep or change diapers or cook or clean a little, groom yourself. That's a Pharisaic misuse of the commandment, which makes God's gift not conducive to human flourishing. The law of God is showing us the way of life and happiness. Any understanding of it that makes it cause harm to man is a misunderstanding. Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light. Don't wear the Pharisaic yoke that makes you walk on eggshells worried all day Sunday that God might catch you laughing or enjoying any of his good gifts on that day. The Sabbath was made for man for his benefit. It was not made against him. But don't throw off all restraint as Pharisaic legalism either. When all else fails, go back to the words of the commandment and look carefully at what it says. Listen to it again. Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The fact is, at the end of the day, only God can change a sinner's heart and give them a desire to remember the Sabbath day and to delight in it. Whether sons or daughters have that desire or not, Heads of households must require them to keep it holy, just like them. God is a covenantal God. He he works with households. And so when you have a covenant household, you are to make sure that the members of the household honor God's law and keep the Sabbath day holy. We all have to learn to call the Sabbath a delight. It's a struggle. And many times during the Sabbath day, every Sabbath day, there's things that you want to go do that you probably shouldn't do that day. And the Holy Spirit will sanctify you and work with you and chip away at you and help you get better and better at keeping that commandment just like all the other commandments. We have to learn to call the Sabbath day, the whole day a delight. God blesses those who refuse to forget the Sabbath day. He will bless and honor your attempts to do better. And I want to close again with that great Isaiah passage, a passage that I didn't understand the first time I read it. I thought, wow, I'm not allowed to do anything that brings me pleasure on on Sunday. I'm not allowed to eat anything I like. I'm not allowed to read the Bible. I enjoy doing that. I can't read any good books. No, not at all. Listen to the text of scripture. We'll close with this. Isaiah 58, 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and God, thank you for giving us a day to rest. The Lord's day, the, the Christian Lord's day Sabbath that Jesus set for us. That the apostles set for us, we gather on the first day now, the day that Christ rose from the dead. And so by divine example, this is the Sabbath day for us. Lord, help us to work in our own hearts to do better keeping the Sabbath day, just as all of us need to do better in all of the commandments, not taking your name in vain, honoring father and mother, treating our inferiors and equals and superiors better, not coveting, being frugal with our money, being chaste in our thoughts and loving our fellow man the way we should. So help us, Lord, sanctify us and make us better at keeping the Sabbath day holy and to go back to the commandments, to look at the word of God, to look at what great men of the past did in scripture in keeping the Sabbath day holy. Help us to imitate them and help us not to imitate what our fathers did that was sinful against the Sabbath. Be with us as we commune in your body and blood to our spiritual nourishment and growth and grace in this time. And we thank you that our Lord Jesus bled and died to atone for our Sabbath breaking. May we, as your redeemed people, learn to show gratitude to you by keeping the day holy and set apart from the other six, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.